We're going to study tonight a tshuva regarding one of the most uh, fiercest and interesting halacha controversies in, in the, over the last few centuries, which is surprisingly not well known at all. The details are not well known. It is not really recorded in the halachic literature. Scholars have tried to reconstruct it from primary source documents. And that is the, the great controversy over Shechita knives in the time of the early Hasidim, the time of the Baal Shem Tov and his followers, the late, late 18th century, early 19th century. There was a tremendous, tremendous controversy between the early Hasidim and the early Misnagdim about Shechita knives, what kind of knives to use. Each side, each side of the controversy believed that their knives were preferable and the other side's knives were inferior and were risking, risking causing people to eat non-kosher meat. It was a fierce, bitter machlokas, one of the most serious of the halachic arguments that were at the root of the early Hasidic Bithnagdic controversy. Eventually, the controversy died away, died out. Why exactly is not entirely clear. Who exactly won is not entirely clear. As we've said, uh, and I'm actually learning in the kol, I'm actually learning Hilchashchita this man, and I've been excited all this man to learn about this machlokas, and to my great chagrin, when we actually learned the relevant Gemaras and the relevant Shulchan Aruch, we didn't come across hide or hair of this dispute. I knew it had to be somewhere. So we looked, and we looked, and we uh, poked around in different corners of the internet, and we found, uh, we found some references to the machlokas. We're going to study tonight one of, probably the single most important tshuva on the subject, and that is one that was written by Roshnir Zalman of Liadi, the author of the Shulchan Aruch Harav. Roshnir Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, the Admor Hazakein, as he's called in Chabad, the founder of Chabad Hasidus, also perhaps the most outstanding and famous of the Hasidic halachists, certainly of his generation, perhaps of any generation. His sefer, the Shulchan Aruch Harav, is one of the great halachic classics of two centuries ago. The Mishnah Mishnabura quotes not that many late Achronim. He quotes almost no Hasidic authors. As a matter of fact, Roshmul Ashkenazi in a letter writes that he's not aware of the Chabad Chaim quoting any Hasidic author or sefer anywhere, with the exception, of course, of the Shulchan Aruch Arav. Shulchan Aruch Arav is the exception that proves the rule. It is a sefer that today certainly has universal, uh, universal acceptance, universal, held in universal esteem. Shulchan Aruch Harav was a great, uh, was, was a great, great halachist. He also was one of the central figures in his generation of the Hasidic Misnagdic, misnagdic polemic. He tried very hard to, he tried very hard to, 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 to reconcile the two sides. He tried very hard to, to quiet the machlokas. He, he had tremendous respect, as we'll see tonight, for the Gona Vilna, the, the great opponent of the Hasidim. He always refers to him as, as uh, the Gon and the Hasid. So he, so he, he was very much involved in the social aspects of Hasidus and the, the Machlokas, but he also is best known today, certainly outside Chabad, he's best known today as one of the outstanding halachists of the Achronim. So he wrote several tshuvas, several letters in which he touches on, touches on or discusses this great Machlokas over the Shechita knives. We're going to, we're going to go through primarily tonight the letter that he wrote in which he discusses the controversy in greatest detail. 
he, he was writing a generation or so after the controversy had erupted. He's referring to events that occurred decades ago in the, in the early, right at the dawn of Hasidus. So we'll try to reconstruct from what he writes what was actually going on, what the issues were, and the positions that were being taken by the, at least by his side. I don't know if we'll get as much of a fail for his opponent's position, but we'll get a fail at least for how he saw the issue. A little bit of background before we start. To eat a, an animal or birds, fowl, and that animal has to be shechted for it to be kosher. Shechting is where you cut the neck with a knife. The, the, the primary cutting, the primary part of the animal that has to be cut are the tusimanim, that is the trachea and the esophagus, the only one in the bird. We do both anyway, though. The minigus do both, both in an animal. The, that's what we call the simanim. The, the, those two tubes of the, of the animal have to be cut. That is what defines shechita. Obviously, we cut through other tissue as well. We cut through blood vessels and so on. But that, we cut through arteries and veins. That is not the primary shechita, even though we often think of shechita as killing the animal by severing arteries and so on. That's not the, the, the core halachic component of shechita. Shechita is taking a knife and severing the, the trachea and the esophagus. The Torah does refer to the concept of shechita in various places, v'zavachta, usually in the context of kadshim, occasionally in the context of chulin, ordinary meat. The Torah does not actually give us anywhere the detailed halachas of shechita. The, the halachas of shechita are actually long and quite complicated. They go for a couple of dozen simanim, dozens of simanim in Shulchan Aruch, dozens of dafim in Masechus Chulin. Many of these halachas, the Gemara explains, are halachal Moshimisinai. They're not directly derivable from sukkim. They, are, they were oral traditions that were passed down as to exactly how the shechita has to be accomplished. There are five classic, what we call hilcha shechita, five great categories of halachas of shechita. They are drasa, shehia, hagrama, ikur, and I, I know I'm going to forget one, um, hagrama, ikur, drasa, shehia, and chalada. Um, we're not going to be concerned with all these five. We are going to be concerned primarily with two tonight, and those are Drasa and Shehia. And there's another halacha about, about a pigima of a knife, which is also going to be our concern. Three halachas are going to be our concern tonight. Drasa, Shehia, and not shechting with a knife that's pugum. Drasa means pressure, downward motion. Obviously, anytime you shecht, anytime you cut with a knife, you're exerting some downward pressure. But the halacha is that the downward pressure has to be secondary, that the primary shechita has to be accomplished with a horizontal sawing or cutting motion. If you chop, or even if you just press, like press downward with the knife, that's not good. The knife has to cut, the, knife, the, action has to, the, the, the cutting action has to occur by being molech umevi, by, by moving the knife back and forth, not by pushing up and down as, like with a chopper or a presser or a, uh, something like that, like dicing or chopping. You have to cut. You have to cut by being molechumevi, by bringing the knife back and forth. If you exert undue downward pressure, downward pressure without horizontal cutting, that is drasa, that invalidates the shechita. On a derisa level, the animal is nevel. That's drasa. Shehia, shehia means delaying. If you start doing the shechita in the middle of the shechita, you stop, you take a break, you answer a phone call or something, that is shehia. We're very machmer and shehia, we're very machmer and shehia, as we are in all the psule shechita, even if you stop for a moment, that's a problem. You lift the knife up, you put it back down, that's a problem. Shehiyah means that you need to cut continuously without stopping. There, there, there cannot be a shehiyah 
There cannot be a delay, a pause in the Shechita. Those are the two, those are the two of the five psulim that primarily concern us in our topic tonight. Not doing Shehiyah, not doing any pauses, not doing drasa, not doing any chopping or dicing, no downward motion, only a cutting motion, a sewing motion. The third din is perhaps the most famous din of Shechita, that is that the knife cannot have any pegimas. The knife has to, be, has to have a straight razor-type blade. It cannot be serrated. It cannot have any nicks or chips. It can't have any accidental nicks from getting from... It, can, it, can, it also can't be designed like a challah knife or like many of our knives with serrated or toothed edges. Th- that's called, those are called pegimas. If you shecht with a knife that's pogum, that is possible as well. The, Rishonim, the Gemara explains, the Rishonim explains, that doesn't cut the simonim, the trachea and the esophagus, that tears them, or rips them, or punctures them. That, that performs an improper shechita as well. And a knife with a pegima, even if we don't, even if the cut looks smooth, it doesn't matter. If the simonim were cut with a knife with a pegima, that invalidates the shechita. And that's the third halacha that concerns us tonight. So we have drasa, no chopping or dicing. We have shehia, no pausing. And we have... The knife has to be smooth with no pegimas. Pegimas are a problem as well. Because of all this, pr- primarily because of the third halacha, that the knife can't have pegimas, the Gemara has a detailed and elaborate discussion, first of all, of what, pe- what are pegimas, and second, ha- how to check a knife, how to prepare a knife. You run your finger over the knife, you run your nail and the flesh of the finger and the tongue. We, we don't do everything that they used to do in the time of the Gemara. The Gemara has a whole host of badikas. Some of them are brought in Shulchan Aruch, some are not. We, 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 we don't do it exactly as they did it in Shulchan Aruch. But be that as it may, the knife has to be very, very smooth, and any nicks or ridges or uh, teeth or anything like that, anything that breaks the perfect smoothness of the knife, is going to be a problem, and that, that's called the pegima. So with that background, let's turn now to the, to the letter, the tshuva of the, of the Shulchan Aruch Harav. So this letter was written Yom Gimel Parshas Nitzavim Tafkufayin Aleph. So Tafkufayin Aleph is going is going to be is going to be eighteen eleven. The the year the year five five seven one, which is uh, which which is eighteen eleven. So he was writing to a group of rabbanim in Vilna. Vilna, of course, was a hotbed. Vilna was in Lithuania. Vilna, of course, was the the city of the Gra, the city of the Chayadam. The greatest city, along with Brisk, the the, the, the greatest cities in in for Lithuanian Jewry, and there were rabbanim in Vilna, Poskim, Mare Hara. He writes to Lachavad Harabanim, Hamaflagim, Maoros Hagedolim, Hamafersamim, Yoshvial Kisei Haora. The rabbanim, the Poskim, the the rabbinic leadership in Vilna, Mare Tzedek, Ladas Yeshurin Shbekila Vilna, Shemalehem Yechi. He was writing to rabbanim in Vilna who apparently were not pleased that Hasidim in their, I don't know if there were Hasidim in Vilna at that time, but, but there were Hasidim who, who were using the, the, their version of Hasidish Ashkita. They were using these knives that the Hasidim used. The Rabbanim in Vilna were not pleased about this, and the Shulchan Aruch was writing to them to, the Roshnir Zalman was writing to, them to, writing to them to justify the custom of the Hasidim, to explain why it was kosher, why it was acceptable, and to convince them that their opposition was unnecessary and was indeed misguided. So, part of his tshuva, the second half of the tshuva, is going to deal with the halachic aspects that we've just discussed. How do the different types of knives relate to, uh, which, which are better or worse with regard to all these various psulim of shita we discussed. The beginning part of the tshuva, though, has, to, has more to do with the, 
Hasidic, Misnagdic polemic. As I said, the, the question of these knives had gotten, uh, had gotten dragged into the whole knockdown battle between Hasidim and their opponents. He's going to try to untangle the, the question of the knife with the question of the, the entire Hasidic, Misnagdic polemic at that time. The... Okay, so let's see what he says. He's Savashamitam, he's very polite. Obviously, he was trying to be a peacemaker. He was trying to uh, trying to quiet the machlokas. Yitzavashamitam, Asabracha Vishalom, Bhaimat Haolam. Pesach Dvarayar, he says, Arsli Khasim Alikur Chuvasim, Prekovatara. He apologizes for his delay. We always point out there are probably more chuvas than not in the postkim where they apologize for delay. We do that today with email, with other things, with returning phone calls. We're always apologizing for delaying, I mean, some of us do that more than others, I certainly do that a lot, but the first thing is, he apologizes for the delay in responding to whatever they had written to him, but uh, he explains why, why he was late, he was at some kind of conference in Shklov on matters of the Klal, and he, uh, he was behind on his correspondence, which was delivered to his home, when he finally got home on Arab Shabbos, the last Arab Shabbos, he found, he found this letter, and he read it carefully, and he didn't fully understand what their problem was, so he was apparently struggling to, to understand what was bothering them. They had apparently expressed concern over the knives that the Hasidim were, were using for their shechita. Says Roshnir Zalman to them, Lopirshali, they were worried about michshal. They were worried about some kind of michshal that using these knives leads to problems. Lopirshali, mahua michshal? What are you worried about? Are you worried that these knives are causing problems? He says... These knives are already well entrenched in Jewish practice. They're, they're being used across half the Jewish world. Again, he's not telling you what these knives are, what the issue is yet. He's kind of assuming you know what he's talking about, but uh, he's writing to these Rabbanim who obviously didn't know what was going on here. But he tells them, Harebachal Medinas, Ukraine, Upolin Katan, Upadalia, Rov Medinas Valen. In a number of co- major European countries, centers of Jewry, we use the Hasidish knives. Ochlim Misakinim Melutashim. They eat meat that was shechted with polished, or not exactly clear to translate Melutashin, but th- this, is the, this is the crux of the matter. This is the term he's going to use over and over again, Sakinim Melutashin. Polished, uh, special knives that, were, that the Hasidim had, had innovated, had begun to use a new kind of knife for Shlita, called Sakinim Melutashin. Again, we'll discuss later what the point of this was, what they were doing, and what the, what the rationale was. But the Hasidim were using these Sakinim Melutashin. Says the Shulchan Aruch HaRav, this is no longer some kind of Hasidic uh, maverick innovation. This custom has already become entrenched in half of Klal Yisrael. It's not some kind of new, new trend that you need to fight. Gamba Dubna Rabasi, Sheina Meantish Lomenu Klal Klal. Dubna, they're not Hasidim at all there, he says. They're not Chabadniks in Dubna. V'chein Ba'ostra, the Kremnitz, V'lutzk, Sharkilus Kedalas. There are many major Kilos. Don't think this is some kind of Hasidic uh, antinomian innovation, he says. We have these major Jewish cities. They are not uh, Hasidim, these people using these knives. In Eretz Israel, where the Hasidim hadn't reached yet, uh, the Hasidim, it wasn't Hasidic communities there. Many Sfardic communities use these, these types of sharp knives. You want to attack Hasidim, that's one thing. But to say that half of Klal Yisrael, tens of thousands of people in Klal Yisrael, are using improper knives, chas v'shalom to say that, asher oznov, and therefore it's, certainly you can't mean to say that half of Klai Yisrael is eating tray for using improper knives, that is, that, that's something that's untenable. Now, he says, 
The famous Rav Chaim of Elazhin, the, the, the Talmud Mufak of the Vilna Gon, he says, now, when Rav Chaim of Elazhin was B'medina Senu, was in his country, in the Shulchan Harav's area, B'shnas, Tafkuf Samach Gimel, in the year 1803 or so, Medina Senu, many people heard, and not just Chasidim, who you suspect are partisans, he says, many people, who are not uh, our loyalists, who are not Chabadniks, who are not Chasidim. Many people heard Rav Chaim Velazhin say, Sha'amar B'Shem Rabba Mufa Kagon HaManoach HaChasid Zal. Rav Chaim Velazhin was heard to say, reliably heard to say, in the name of his great teacher, his Rebbe Mufak, the Gon, the departed, the, the great, uh, the, the late great Gon HaChasid, that of course is the Vilna Gon. She'ein shum iser klal b'shchita sakinim mulutashim al piyadin ha'shanei b'gemaru poskim. The Gon conceded, Rav Chaim Velashen conceded, as a matter of halacha, there is nothing wrong with the Hasidish knives. The Shechita is absolutely fine. However, it is true, it is undeniably true, the Shulchan Aruch Harav concedes that the Gon prohibited the use of Hasidish knives. That is true. The Gon did say they're Asr. Why did the Gon say they were Asr if they were absolutely Mutzer al-Pidin? Rak in Yatza Yisim Ripivzal, if insofar as he prohibited our knives, he says, Eino Ela Mishim Harchaka La'anche it, that was part of a general campaign of opposition to Hasidim. They wanted to ban everything the Hasidim did to, uh, to attack Hasidim. They felt Hasidim were a dangerous, heretical sect, and they had to, Hasidim had to be uh, fought on every front, kind of like the way you see sometimes with Reform, or today with the Open Orthodox, that we oppose everything they do, even if some of the things might be justifiable on, uh, on a, in, in a vacuum without context, but we oppose them... They're often opposed, uh, we oppose them root and branch, we try to destroy everything they do root and branch because we feel the entire movement has to be opposed. So that's what the Gon is saying about the early, that's what the Gon felt about the early Hasidim. He felt they were a dangerous, heretical sect. Everything they do needs to be opposed, even things which are Mikra din mutter, like the Sakinim Mulutashim, the new, the new Hasidish knives. Kmoshar Harchakus, we find the Gon and his, uh, and his camp made other Xeris against Hasidim. Shigatsu Kishgagam of Meashalat, Bishnas Tafkuf Laman Bays, famous Cherem and Tafkuf Laman Bays in, in 1772, that they, they made a tremendous Cherem against the Hasidim. Kal Apikursin Mamish, Shem Namaridin, they treated us like Apikursim, who we try to kill and dispose of. Shlolis Chatein, no marrying the Hasidim. Vahakol, Vahakol, everything we heard that the Gon conceded that there was nothing, Rechaim Velazhin and his great Rebbe, the Gon conceded that there was nothing wrong with. Uh, that there was nothing wrong with 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 Hasidish and Naives, the Sakinim Mulutashim Alpidin. It was just a matter of general uh, campaigning against Hasidim to, uh, to, to to stem their growth and to oppose their the, the entire culture of Hasidus. This is what we've heard again, We've heard this from people that you trust. You don't trust us, you think we Hasidim are partisan, fine, but this, these reports are these reports were, are being made by those who are trustable to you as well, who are trustworthy to you, people who are not Hasidim, who are not Hasidic fellow travelers. So this is all well known, he says, that the Gon and Rechaim Velazhin both conceded that as a matter of halacha, there's nothing wrong with the Hasidish knives. Again, we're going to discuss later in this letter what the actual halachic issues are, whether they are a problem or not a problem, why or why not. In the meantime, he's just trying to argue that the Gon himself conceded that there was no real halachic problem with Hasidish knives. Omnam, he says, regarding the Gon's opposition to Hasidim, Milanu Gadol Mishol Hashem. 
He says, even great men, even great men like the Gon, could make mistakes if they were misinformed and they were, uh, and they were, they, they were misled about the nature of the threat they were fighting. And he brings an example of Shaul HaMelech, King Saul, Bechir Hashem, chosen one of Hashem, who did a terrible, terrible thing. One of Shaul HaMelech's great crimes was, the, was his extermination of the city of Nov, Irakonim. And he did that because Doeg, Doeg was a, was a great villain. He was also a, according to Chazal, he was an Avbeistin, shall call Yisrael, Verosh Sanhedrin, Neman Be'enav, Kedash Shal Torah. Doeg was someone who, on the one hand, is represented by Chazal as being a great leader, a great Talmud Chacham. On the other hand, he was guilty of an unspeakable crime of Lashon Hara. He slandered Nov as being traitors, as being disloyal to Shaul HaMelech. What happened was that, that when, when David was on the run from Shaul, he had, t- he had taken shelter in, in the city of Nov. He asked them for food, and they gave him food. They gave him food not knowing that he was a fugitive from the king. They would not have been, they would not have been, they, they apparently would not necessarily have tried to aid someone who was a traitor to the crown, but David did not tell them he was, and David had formerly been a great favorite of Shul, so they didn't know he was on, they didn't have Twitter and, uh, and, and uh, 24-hour news cycle, cable television and all that, so they were not aware that David at this point was a mortal enemy of Shul. So they gave him food. Later, when Shoal found out what they had done, he killed all of them for treason, for supporting David. And the reason he did so was because Doeg convinced him that they had committed treason. Doeg convinced him, convinced Shoal that the people of Nov had knowingly aided a traitor. So, so Doeg was guilty of tremendous Lashon Hara. You can see the parallel here. You can see the Mashal and the Nimshal. The, 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 the Vilna Gon is like Shoal. A, a tremendous, tremendous tzaddik who, who did something, uh, a terrible thing, because trusted uh, aides of his fed him f- distorted and false reports about the Hasidim, who were blameless, but because they convinced the Gon that the Hasidim were terrible, the Gon said terrible things about him, about them. He, he goes through the mushal of, of Doeg and Shol. Doeg was an av in Rosh Sanhedrin, Neman Bain of Kedash Torah. But not only that, but Doeg was very artful in his slander. Doeg didn't actually lie. He artfully, uh, he artfully manipulated the truth to give a bad impression of, in, in Shoal's mind of Nov. He didn't actually lie outright. They said the truth, but they said the truth in such a way that it was designed to manipulate and give a false impression. He managed to he managed to cause Shol to believe that Achimelech, the Kohen Gadol, the head of Nov, was lying when he said Shlo Yodaki David Barechu Del Hatzal Nafshul Mimaves. The Gamanachnu he says Lo Hayinu Yod Mashgagah Shetzmul Feashalat Doig was so artful he wouldn't even have realized what what happened what what went wrong here. Shalom Melech Alaf Shalom Bazeh Lulei Shekasev Lanu Shmuel Hanavi Besifro. The Navi explained to us what happened. The Navi gave us the truth. He says the Ata. The Golos Achel Hazei says today in Golos we have no Navi, Einlon Einod Navi, Tanu Vidadma. So he says, Bervos Hashanim Achrap Tiraso Shalagon Achasid Hamanach Zal. Again, tremendous respect for the Gon, his, his, his mortal opponent. He has tremendous respect for him. The Gon was undeniably a Gon and Chasid, an unparalleled figure in, in Jewish leadership. Nevertheless, he says, Chus Tiraso Amdalo Lachal Hamistof and Betzilo Shalishbach Od Damavchina. 
if they had siyata deshmaya that the truth came out, to, 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 they won't continue to be guilty of persecuting innocent people. Hashem caused us, even though we have no Nevi'im, everyone now realizes that the Gon's enmity and opposition was mistaken, was unfounded. Bigalos, niglos, le'ene kol, everyone today understands, he says, v'noda ha'emes, the truth has been revealed. V'nira ba'alil, we can clearly see, she'ein banu shemetz minus chas v'shalom, we don't have any whiff of heresy about us. We are normative Jews, he says, Vlo Shimtza de Shimtza. And therefore, he says, the Gon's opposition, which he doesn't deny, the Gon's opposition, he says, was all based on troublemakers misinforming him about the true nature of the Hasidim. And Baruch Hashem, Hashem helped the Gon. The truth has now been revealed. So the Machlokis will quiet down and the Gon won't, uh, won't and, and no more terrible consequences will come out of the Gon's mistaken Cherem, he says. Be'lazos, hutru shvatim lavo now the Shvatim can marry each other. This is a kind of play on words. In Shevet ben Yaman, they had a terrible civil war. And in Pelegesh Begiva, the outcome of the civil war, the Jews said no one can marry ben Yaman, no one can give their daughters to ben Yaman. But later they repealed that. Later they revoked that Zerah. So now also, even though the, even though the Cherem against the Hasidim had said nobody should marry them, as he said earlier, now it's Hutrua Shvatim Lavozebezeh, Mishatim Anutamid, we no longer follow those, those strict rules of uh, mis- miscegenation. Against Hasidim, today we understand. Hasidim are not so bad, he says. We, you agree to that, he says. And so on. And he says, All these uh, dire edicts of, uh, of, of 1772 of 1772 have all been repealed because they realized Hasidim are not so terrible. It was all a mistake. They thought that Hasidim were some kind of sectarians like Shabsay Phoenix or something. But now that everyone understands the Hasidim are, are Jews in good standing, all the, all the fierce, uh, the fierce cherims and so on have fallen by the wayside, he says, and including is this opposition to the knives. Again, the knives, Mikra, he says, are fine. The opposition to them only came about as part of this general, implacable opposition to Hasidus, which has been mitigated today, he says, and therefore has been, has been ameliorated, and therefore we no longer have to worry so much about, you don't have to worry about those cherims. The cherims are history, he says, and now we can use our knives. And so on and so on. He brings the idea of Parhelam Davar, that we find even Sanhedrin can make mistakes. So it's not, it's, it's, it's not disrespectful to say that the Goan could have made a mistake. Even Sanhedrin can make a mistake. That Judaism doesn't believe in papal infallibility. Even the greatest of men can make mistakes, and Shaul HaMelech, and so on. And therefore, it's no disrespect to the Gra to say that he had been uh, misled about the true nature of Hasidim, but we all agree today, he says, we all agree that Hasidim are not the Apikursim that you once thought they were, and therefore all those terrible cherims can, uh, can no, no longer carry weight. Lazos, he says, now we're going to get into the, now we're going to get into the, oh, we're almost ready to get into the question of the, the Halacha. He says, Lazos, any maven, therefore, he says, I do not understand you're getting so upset that people are using these sakinim lutashim, these polished knives, which are against the gzera of, of 1772. If a nadir is made based on misconceptions, under, under mistaken, mistaken ideas about the situation, the nadir has, has, has no validity. So all those cherims that you made against the Hasidim, that your predecessors made against the Hasidim, they're no longer enforced, they're clearly made in error, and therefore, part of the neder is bottle, the rest is bottle, 
Therefore, there's no need to be concerned about the cherims against using these knives. Those cherims uh, were, were made in error, they're, they're no longer in force, and they're not binding. You were worried about some kind of machlokas if, if, if some people start using these knives. I don't understand what you're worried about. You tell people what to do. You give shiurim, you, you, you publish newsletters, whatever you do. You teach people what's acceptable, what's not. Everyone turns to you for psak. If you can see that these knives are fine, who's going to disagree with you? If you say the knives are mutter, that Bikra din they're fine, and the, the cherim is, uh, is a matter of history only, then there'll be no problem. So what are you worried about? You heard that I said that your shchit is not good. You heard that, that, I go, that, that I go so far as to say that your knives are puzzle. Chas v'shalom, he says. That is, that, that is false. That is, uh, that, that's a lie, he says. Chalila, chalila While it is true, he's going to say that he believed his knives were preferable. He believed that his knives, the Shulchan Aruch Arab, believed that Hasidish knives were preferable, he says. But it's one thing to say preferable. But chalila, chalila, he says. Chas v'shalom, I, never, I would never say that your knives are problematic, that your knives are, that you're eating treif, he says. Nemonolai Abba b'shemayim. I, I, by, by, God is my witness, he says. Ask anyone who's close to me, he says. I'm perfectly happy to eat from the dishes of people who use the regular knives. I don't treat it as treif. I myself, I try to eat only meat that was shechted with, uh, with the knives that we use, the chasidim use. But I don't consider it treif. I, I, I don't worry about your kalim. If I get meat that was cooked in your kalim, I eat it. He's mashman that he wouldn't actually eat meat that, that, that they shechted, but at least, he says, I, I would be happy to use kalim that you used. I do not consider your knives treif, he says. Absolutely not. Now let's get down, he says, after all the, the history and the machlokas, let's get down to the halachic question of why we use our knives, why, what, what the issues are with knives. So now we're finally going to, after all this, we're finally going to get back to El Chashita after all the discussion of the of the of the Hasidim, we're finally going to get down to the to to brass tacks. This letter of the Shulchan Aruch Harav was first was first originally published in in his, in Igris Kodesh in the, the the correspondence of the Alter Rebbe of the Balatanya. They eventually excerpted the halachic part, basically this section of the tshuva we're about to do, and they printed it in a section in the back of the Shulchan Aruch Harav called Tshuvas, which are the halachic correspondence. And different parts of the letters made its way to different places, but this is more or less the full letter. We're not going to, we're going to skip the end a little bit. But this is basically the full letter that he wrote, which was originally published in full, you know, some decades ago in the, in the collected work, collected writings, collected correspondence of the, of the Alter Rebbe. So this is the halachic part now. Tochana inyim b'kzara. Yan, hinei rov hashokhtim those who use sakinim that are not malutashim, ordinary iron knives. So these were the knives that were in use for hundreds or thousands of years. And says the Shulchan Aruch HaRav, we're faced with a somewhat serious problem, what we call a trilemma, I guess you would call it. He says, HaMumchin The expert shokhtim, the expert knife preparers, they sharpen the knives until they are very, very sharp. Ve'azai in a kolkach. The price you pay, however, 
is that the, the knife is not so smooth. Basically, the, the sharper and thinner you make the blade, the price you pay for that is that the blade, because it's thin, it's less durable, it's, br- it's more brittle, it can get nicks and cracks and protrusions. If, if the knife is broad and thick, it can be pretty sturdy and solid. If a knife is very, very thin and, and razor thin, literally razor thin, then the knife is more subject to not being perfectly straight. So it's a trade-off, he says, between sharpness and between smoothness. The reason they do this, the reason they go all out to make the knife super sharp, even at the price of making it not as smooth as we would like, because it's one or the other. If we make it very smooth, do an experiment and you'll see. If You have to trade off one of these properties against the other. The property of being very, very smooth or very, 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 very smooth, or very, very sharp. If you make it very, very smooth, it won't be very, very sharp. What's wrong with having a knife that's not so sharp? There's not really anything in the Gemara Shulchan Aruch about a knife being sharp. Today, when you read about, when, when you read about knife preparations by the practical teachers of Shechita, they talk about degrees, the, the same numbers you find that they sell when they sell good knives. They talk about 11 degrees on one side, 11 degrees on both sides. They talk about exact degrees. In Halacha, there's nothing like that. Halacha doesn't discuss how sharp a knife has to be. However, the postgame of the last several centuries began to worry that if a knife is not that sharp, of lovely de drasa. We mentioned shchita has to be done with a sawing back and forth motion. If you do it with a chopping or dicing motion where you press down, then the shchita is invalid and the behemoth is invalid. So a knife that's not sharp, simply cutting, it do, simply doesn't cut so well. You're, you're tempted to push or to chop with it because it won't. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't work very well when you try to when you try to saw it back and forth. It just won't cut so well if you uh, without a lot of downward pressure. So if the knife is not sharp, then it's, you can tell the shokeh just sit here for an hour sewing back and forth with a dull knife, but it's not going to, uh, it doesn't work very well, and therefore there, there, it's, it becomes increasingly likely that the shokeh, uh, impatience or carelessness, will lead him to use drasa, to use downward pressure on the neck of the animal, which will invalidate the shechita. So he says that the Gemara itself makes this point. If the sakin is raw, if the sakin is not sharp, you'll wind up having to shecht kalayam kulo. The Gemara says that's kosher. The Gemara says shechting kalayam kulo, taking six hours for a shechita, is fine. Mikra did. However, the, the Gemara acknowledges that the less sharp the knife is, the longer it's going to take you to do a proper shechita without drasa. Even though that's a guzma, kalayam kulo is, is a guzma, it's an exaggeration, he says. But certainly, if you want to shecht correctly with a dull knife, you're going to have to do a lot of sewing back and forth to avoid drasa. A lot of being molechumevi, 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 to avoid any undue downward pressure, you're going to have to keep sewing and sewing and sewing. And what's wrong with that? So keep sewing to take an hour for the shechita if you need to. What's wrong? Then we have a third problem, he says. Sewing for too long can lead to shahia. Usually, as long as you keep cutting, it's not going to be, it's not going to be, it's not going to actually be a shahia. Shahia means when you stop cutting. But the longer you're, the longer you're there, the longer you're, you're busy with the shechita, the more chance there is for something to, for something to be called a shahiyah. Certainly if you stop, even if you don't stop in certain cases, it might be a shahiyah. But the, so this is the problem. If the knife is dull, then on the one hand, if you chop or dice, it'll be drasa. If you saw, it'll take a really long time, and it might be shahiyah. Both of those are very, very bad. So dull knives lead to one of these two problems, of shahiyah or drasa. 
So to avoid that, we use sharp knives. So lechein bachru amumchim latzman derech yishara yoser lashchizah lahamidza chada v'lochalaka. They decided, okay, dull knives, knives that are smooth but dull, will lead to shahia or drasa. So instead, we're going to go for sharp knives, which you can shek very quickly without drasa, without uh, without shahia. We'll use very very sharp knives, and therefore everything will be good. The problem is. Yes. So if if you are really sawing back and forth and you're not stopping, um, isn't it possible that the animal would die from blood loss or something even before you get to you cut the simanim and then you've got a problem from that? So that's an interesting question. So, so Barbara is asking if you if you would uh, if, if you shecht the if you go through the major arteries or veins before you get to the before you finish the simanim then the animal loses blood. If the animal loses blood, physiologically it will die. And if it's dead, then it certainly is a novella. So yes, so, so the halacha, I believe that is true. I believe that if you killed the animal due to blood loss or something, before you got to the simanim, that would be novella. Why he isn't worried about that is an interesting question. I don't know. I, I don't actually have a great sense of the anatomy of the neck. We, we, we have the picture books. You know, we, we study these uh, colorful pictures of the animal being dissected and where all the different veins and arteries are on birds and animals. But I have to admit, I don't have a very clear picture of the anatomy. I, I, I don't actually know in a typical shrita, a, sl- a, typical sl- a typical but very slow shrita, would you be likely to be going through the, any mortal part of the animal before you finish the simanim? I don't know. It, it, it's certainly a good question, but I, I'm afraid I don't know the answer. If, if, I, if I learn anything further on that, I'll try to remember to get back to you. So... So, the, so to avoid either of these problems of drus or shia, and I guess to avoid this problem as well of killing the animal before the shita is done, they used to have very sharp knives. The problem with sharp knives, as you mentioned earlier, is that sharp knives lend themselves are fragile. Sharp knives are delicate and fragile, and they and they can become nicked and chipped and uh, and unsmooth much more easily. The thinner and less sturdy something is, the, the more susceptible it is to different types of irregularities. So that he says is crovalios kisasa. The Gemara, when it discusses Pegima, the Gemara discusses several different levels of Pegima. It's a very, very difficult Gemara. The Rishonim have different interpretations. The Achronim have uh, many, many different shitas trying to untangle what all the different levels of Pegima are. We try to have a knife that is perfectly smooth. The Gemara says an actual chip, like if you run your finger, finger across it, you'll feel a dip and your finger will get stuck in some kind of depression. That's the worst. That's absolutely possible. A knife that doesn't have any real dips, but just has a slight curve or a slight rises and falls, but it isn't actually, doesn't actually have any right-angled or any sharp uh, nicks, that's called sasa, that's called a wavy knife, basically, a knife that's that slightly curves or wavy. That we pass in as kosher. However, the Ramah says, we don't actually know where mild waviness ends and real pigimas begin. So we're machmer, even for this very minor form of pegima, even for this slight curve, the slight rising and falling of the height of the knife, e- even a slight, gently curved uh, change and in, in, uh, uh, deviation from ruler straight edge, we consider pasul, because we're not sure how, how, uh, how much it's allowed to deviate from, from, from razor straight. So he says, we're machmer. But these, these, these people who used really sharp knives, again, before the Hasidim came along with their polished knives, these people, these traditional shokhtim who used really sharp knives, they were hoping that 
even if the knife won't be perfectly straight, it's not really possible. We have a chumrah, a we try not to use knives that have any curve in them at all, but uh, it's not really such a problem. The, 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 a real pegima is only if it has, uh, it's only if the finger gets caught or the nail would get caught if you run it over the knife. Ein pegima poselas, elekishogeris latocha shum davardafka. We pass in like the relatively lenient shita, he says that a pegima is only invalidates the shita, the knife, if a finger would get caught when you ran it over, if it's something, a finger, a nail, a, a thread even, if something would, would, would get picked up by the depression and caught and stopped, that's a pegima that passes. But even if we don't know exactly what a sasa is, even if we don't trust our own assessment so well, it's probably not that bad, he says. It's only a chumra balma, and therefore, rather than risk having a knife that was dull and risk the question of shahia or shahia or drasa, we would rather have a knife that's super sharp, even if that risks these very mild pegimas. Meikradin, these mild pegimas are fine. We're not really worried that these that, that these slight irregularities in the in the delicate brittle knife are really going to passel it, and therefore. That was the shita of those who used the very sharp, very sharp but not polished knives. However, the Shulchan Aruch Rav says, other Rishonim are much stricter. Other Rishonim, other Akronim are much stricter. They say that a pegima, even if it's so slight that nothing would get caught in it, nothing would be choger, nothing would get stopped in the pegima, it's still a pegima, even tiny, tiny pegimas are a problem. And, uh, and that's it. So it's our knives that are, uh, that are super sharp, risk getting into those, the, those, since we're not really bucky and checking a knife perfectly, we, we don't trust our own ability to, per, to check a knife for perfect smoothness, according to this stringent view that even very, very mild pegimas are problems, then these really sharp knives are really courting, really are courting real danger of the knives having these very slight but uh, invalidating pegimas. So that's the problem, that there's really no way out. We have a trilemma. If the knife is dull and you cut fast, then you risk doing drasa, you risk doing downward pressure. If the knife is dull and you cut slowly, then you risk uh, shia, you risk having delays in the shita. If the knife is very sharp, then you risk having these very, very minor pegimas, these slight irregularities, which also render the shita psula. So pick your poison. If you don't use, if you don't use chasidish knives, if you don't use the new technology knives, which involves some kind of polishing, some kind of advanced technological process, then you not then you suffer you have to choose between between one of these between one of the, between one of the, one of these three uh, one of these three possibilities of this trilemma you're either risking drasa or you're risking shahia or you're risking pegimus it is possible he says to make the knife really really sharp but also perfectly smooth some shoktim can do that he says some shoktim are really really virtuoso knife sharpeners and they can make the knife perfectly smooth, even though it's not malutash, they can make it both perfectly smooth and perfectly sharp, without uh, both together. Not everyone knows how to do that, he says. That's, uh, that, that's a great art. Most, many people can't do that, he says. And even those who could, it takes a really long time. They don't always have that much time to spend that much time on, uh, on this art form of perfect knife sharpening, he says. However, if you use malutashim, again, I don't know exactly what the process of malutashim is, but if you introduce this new, this new form of knives, you make them malutashim, then, the, then it's great, then we can get the knife perfectly sharp and per, solid and straight and regular without a problem. These, these knives that are malutashim, it's an innovation, but it allows us to have the best of all three worlds. We can have them sharp and avoid drasa and avoid shahia, and we can have them smooth and avoid any pegimas. So that is the so, so, so that's the advantage of our knives. Again, he was a partisan. He was trying to defend the Hasidic knives. 
That is the advantage of our knives, he says, that if we treat the metal this way, if we prepare the knives using this technology, this, this uh, metallurgical technique, we can make the knives both chadavachalaka at the same time, both sharp and smooth, the perfect knife. As long as you're willing to allow this innovative form of knife polishing, we can get knives that are perfectly sharp and perfectly smooth. That's why we use them, because the shita, we don't have to compromise on, on, on this trilemma in any way. That's why we use these knives. Mimotza Dover Nishma, he says, based on everything I've explained to you, he says, so certainly, he says, nobody, if you don't have newfangled knives, if you use the old-fashioned uh, steel knives, and the iron knives, and you, and you make them very sharp, and you rely on the fact that the slight pegimus that will be created, the slight curves or irregularities, are not a problem. They have yeshal milismoch, it's uh, not, not all post agree, but it's a reliable sheet in halacha, the old-fashioned knives that were made very sharp but not perfectly straight, that is acceptable. However, he says, this should be mutual. Chalila lochem, the same way we would not object to your knives, even though some post would worry about your knives that they have slight pegimas, but mikra din, chalila diba, you have yeshal milismoch, we would not challenge your knives, we expect uh, mutuality to reign here. You shouldn't give us a hard time. We choose to be very worried about the, those posts who say that even tiny, tiny pegimas, tiny, tiny irregularities are a problem. And we therefore find the solution to use sakinim malutashim, the polished knives, which are a better technique. We can avoid any Shiloh pegima. And therefore, both camps should agree, both camps should agree that the, to respect the other's choice of knife, they're both rooted in halachic considerations, and therefore we don't, uh, we don't cast aspersions on your knives. You shouldn't be casting aspersions on our knives. There are many issues, he said. Even though we, we agree, he says, we acknowledge that our knives are an innovation. Our knives, that uh, we agree that in earlier generations, for hundreds of years, presumably, people were doing what you did, and were using the old-fashioned, simple iron knives. They didn't worry about these chumras. And we're the ones who are, inve- he agrees, we're the ones who are inventing new chumras and changing the tradition. That's okay, he says. Sometimes you can do that. This is something we've discussed many times in the past, the whole question about being motzi laz, as opposed to uh, there is room for religious innovation. He says, even though I agree, he says, we concede that in previous generations, they were lenient, they used ordinary iron knives, and they relied on the shita that these very slight pegimas were not a problem. There are many areas in halacha where where we're later generations decide to be more from, and that's okay, he says. Examples, fascinating thing, he says, chadash, chadash and yashan, earlier generations in Ashkenaz for centuries were lenient, to, uh, to allow the consumption of chadash, not to be strict about yashan. Today, he says, in the early 19th century, many people are stricter. This is very interesting. Chasidim today are lenient about chadash, still most chasidim are lenient. I don't know Chabad in particular, as far as I know, they're lenient as well. But uh, Shulchan Aruch Harav says, chadash is an example of a chumrah, which people are stricter about than they used to be. And he implies that's a good thing. Tfilas Arvis, Gavna Tuva. Many halachas, he says, people decided to be stricter. That's what we Hasidim did about the knives. We decided that even though your knives are kosher, we're not being motzidiba, there's room for improvement. We can make the knives using this new metallurgical technique. We can make the knives better, stronger, and uh, more muhudar, and therefore we do that, and you should not be giving us a hard time. 
Just to quote briefly from one other tshuva on the topic that he wrote, he writes another letter, he writes that Hashchita b'shakinim, b'shakinim melutashim, he says, he mitzvah rabba v'atzuma. We consider the use of our newfangled, polished Hasidish anayas, we consider that a great mitzvah, a tremendous halachic improvement. Our teachers, the early Hasidic masters, they began this minhag, and this was a great improvement, we think. They, they were most nefesh for this, they thought this was really, really important. Achi says, but again, it's not, it's a chumra, he says, it's a hidr. Even those who were most nefesh to improve the shechita, to use these new knives, Chalila Lifrush Mehem Chas Vashalom, he says, to start causing machlokas and to treat the, treat the non Hasidish Shechita as Nevela. Lachzikim Kochle Nevela's Chas Vashalom, Hasmi Lahasker. This type of Chumra was never meant as a source of machlokas, as a source of superiority and denouncing other people, he says. Me'odai, he reiterates what he said in his first letter. Me'odai, lo nizharti me'akelem afim b'nayoman. Even though I use meat that was shechted by the new improved knives, I would never avoid eating from kalim. That were uh, that, that even killing that with Bnei I don't treat it as actually treif. It's a hinder. It's a chumra that we try to do, but we certainly concede that the knives of our of the other camps in Judaism are fine, and that's the position of the that's the position of the Shulchan Aruch Harav. Today again, today we we talk about Hasidic Shishita. Today, as I understand it, this is no longer the this is no longer a dividing line. Everyone uses the same knives. I think today, the t- my understanding is that today the techniques have evolved further. Today we have knives which all sides accept as being uh, sharp and smooth and, and, and good at the same time. It's not entirely clear how this machlokas was resolved. Back then, show, the various scholars, historians, have written entire essays on this. Uh, what, what, one of the classic ones was Professor Shol Stamfer has written, has written uh, Lakurus Machlokas Asakinim Hamlutashus, uh, an investigation into the, 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 the events of the, the great battle over the polished knives. He tries to understand how it started, what Machlokas was, how it ended, why it isn't really discussed in the halachic literature, except for the isolated tshuva here or there. But at the end of the day, as we began, this was a tremendous Machlokas in its time. As the Shulchan Harav asserts, it seems that at least part of it had to do with the context of the bitter arguments between the bitter controversies between the early Hasidim and Misnagdim. The halacha case, though, was an interesting one as well. The Hasidim fell. Their knives were better, as the arguments set forth in the Shulchan Aruch Harav's tshuva we did tonight were. It seems that, as, as he acknowledges, it seems that some of the non-Hasidic Rabbanim thought their knives were better for reasons that I'm not exactly sure why. I'm not sure what, their, what they thought the advantage was. Maybe they thought, it's possible that they thought that the Hasidim's knives were, again, even with the new process of Malutashim, were too sharp and therefore lent themselves to brittleness and pegimus. But whatever it was, this, this was machlokas for, for several decades until eventually it died down and, and, a, and, and a, uh, a point was reached that with the two sides uh, joined forces again and began using the same kind of knives. Again, today's knives we use, obviously, different types of techniques, different types of knives than they used to use uh, a thousand years ago. But by today, we have good knives. that We use pretty standard knives, I think. We, I, my, my impression is we use the same type of knives that non-Jews use for their purposes. We use just, real, just good, sharp uh, advanced technology-produced knives, and this machlokas is no longer a current machlokas, but for about uh, half a century or so, this was apparently a raging machlokas between some of the early Hasidim and some of the early Misnagdim.